Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Made by Mamas the podcast. I'm Zoe. And I'm Georgia. And we're here talking all things parenthood. You know, the real conversations. Tips and tricks. Products we love. And brands we can't live without. Let's get into it. Well, how was your weekend, George? Are you well? I am. I'm fine. I'm good. No no health complaints. So oh, that's a great neither. start to the week, isn't it, for us? And anyone yeah. listening, I'm so sorry that we've been boring you with all of our um, health issues over the last couple of months. But yeah. um, we're all right now, aren't we? How are you? Yeah, well, yeah I'm really good too. Had a lovely weekend. Um, one of Doz's mates had like a black tie dinner thing on Friday night, which was oh. really fun. Um, so we went, I haven't been to a black tie do for about three years, I think. So that was really uh. nice. Um, and then um, it was out of town. So I then had to get a, a car to take me to the studio at 3.45 in the morning. Oh <laughs> morning. But I was all right. I was quite well behaved. I didn't get too drunk. So that was fun. And then on Sunday we had, um, we went to a mate's house and had loads of people, like they had loads of people around. So it was a bit of like a Sunday fun day barbecue thing. Oh, so nice. the whole situation was really great. I feel great. And I'm really off to Italy on Wednesday. Oh my God, I'm so jealous. I mean, I'm going to Glasgow. That's the same, right? It's the same. (laughs) It's the skyline in Glasgow is the same as Sicily. Yeah, exactly the same. Um, So tell me, where where are you going? What are you doing? Who are you seeing? Yeah, we're going to Sicily. So right down the bottom of the boot. Um, And I've never been there before, so I'm super excited. It is um, a a kind of get together and a celebration. One of our friends, 40th, another birthday. So we're sort of, yeah, there's like, 25 of us heading down there 30 of us heading down there in two separate villas it's going to be really good fun me and Dozer have hired a car five nights away from your kids five five we never got a honeymoon so this is basically it that's it that's this is your time oh that's so odd you know yeah you need it you really deserve it gosh wow thanks mate I can't wait I'll be posting (laughs) regular updates of me sipping on various Italian drinks and getting shit faced and if anyone (laughs) wants some reality then follow me while we're in Glasgow <laughs> <laughs> although we don't actually have any kids so that's good what are you doing we so actually James has been invited back to his old football club um for a they won the Scottish cup I want to say like the Scottish it's like it's 10 years or something since they won the Scottish cup and he was obviously in that team so um okay yeah they've be been nice. invited back yeah so it'd be really nice um we love Glasgow so we're just yeah just going up for two nights we're gonna have I think we're gonna do a spa day on the Friday because we've got to be up at like 
four o'clock to catch our flight up there. But yeah, I'm really looking that forward to really it. Good. Georgia, yeah, by the way, in case you friends. didn't know, is basically working for the Glasgow Tourist Board. I, yes. Um, she loves a bit of Glasgow. Yes. I'm not being paid by them, but I, <laughs> I am working. <laughs> I do do lots of work for them. Um, so if the Glasgow Tourist Board are actually listening, um, you know, <laughs> why don't you sign us up? Because then I can show <laughs> Zoe around, get her on board. But this isn't a travel podcast, is it? We're not discussing travel um, on today's podcast. It was a fascinating conversation and it took lots of different twists and turns. Um, it was, uh, it was with, we had a male voice on the podcast yeah. today. Um, somebody who's had a, I mean, an unbelievably tough upbringing, um, but who managed to turn his life around, raising three girls. Um, we talked really about how your past and how your upbringing doesn't condition you to be the parent that you are today. As in, you don't need to, you know, you take the best bits from your parents and you leave the worst bits behind, which was yeah, fascinating. exactly. And I think it's quite important to note that, you know, we, we do talk about some pretty heavy subjects in this, like such as suicide and abuse. So obviously, if, if that's going to be triggering for you, then please do switch off now and maybe choose another episode but even if you haven't um, experienced that level of trauma there's still a lot of takeaways there you know mm-hmm. things that may be small things that you've grown up with or p- people saying you can break the cycle and it's all about yes noticing those patterns and realizing that you don't just have to continue with the same cycle just because it's been Mm. passed down you know through generations and I think you know we do that we talk about these kind of things a lot we you know we've been conditioned in many ways through you know parents and the media and all that kind of stuff so we're just having a conversation about breaking the cycle really Mm. yeah I took so many like you said I took so many takeaways from the conversation I feel like we just need to get straight into it because um our guest today a fascinating fascinating guy Georgia who are we talking to today we are chatting to Michael Macy I've got a really good feeling about this conversation today. In fact, George and I are so excited to be sitting down uh, with this amazing man uh, uh, who is, uh, weirdly, we've got like a, a, a mutual friend who's also a very good friend of Mike. So I, I, even I've never met Michael before, I feel like I know him because myself and Ben Bidwell have endless conversations around him. Please welcome to the podcast, Michael Maisie. Hey. <laughs> How are you? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. It's coming to the end of half term. Um, it's been pretty full on. Um, I mean, I love it. I love being a dad, but also when you've got lots of other stuff going on in the background, it's like crikey. I can I can feel energetically stuff piling up that I need to go and pay attention to. Mm. So kids are back next week, and uh, it's like getting back to, back to work again. And you know, yeah, that's normality. How, how do you how do you run it? Like, do you when you're off with the kids, are you are you present? Are you there? Do you put your phone down, or do you try and juggle all of the stuff that you've got going on in your life and parenting at the same time? I'd love to say that I'm quite disciplined and I put my phone down and all of that, and I, and I do do that most of the time, but not all of the time. You know, mm. I think it's just not uh, feasible for me at the moment to just completely not do anything for the whole mm-hmm. half term I can do yeah. it in in little moments um you know I'm better at it if we go away somewhere and we do something because um where I live I have my office in my home so having the office at the end of the hallway it's really easy to go I'm just gonna I'm just gonna nip to my desk and do something yeah. but I've got a bit of land around the corner about uh, 25 acres so if I go there and I take the kids there and we go camping then it's easy it's like no no I'm out of I'm out of reach now. You can't reach yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. It's very easy to just put it down, isn't it? When you're when you're out, kind of 
in the universe, in yeah. nature. No, oh, I can't, no one can get at me. There's no reception. I'm, or just you know, I've just a different environment. Yeah. Like just taking yourself elsewhere. I was having this discussion with my husband. He's got like quite a traditional job now where he has to be at his desk at 6.30 a.m. And, you know, he leaves at a certain time or around a certain time. And so when he's at work, he's at work. And when he's at home, he's at home. <laughs> Whereas for me, the lines are blurred. And I was trying to explain to him that when the seven weeks holiday comes up, we have got to have some like a week somewhere here and then a week somewhere here. And then we've got to be away from the house. Otherwise, my working world and my home life will just no. be a big mushy pit at the end of Come September. Mm. A mushy pit of hell. A big heap of, yeah, yeah. nonsense. <laughs> it's really interesting, Georgia, because I have the same dilemma with my wife you know Sasha says that's one of the things that she finds really challenging is that like because I am at the end of the hallway and I'm doing work and then I'll nip out and get a coffee and, and then she would be like oh you know we'll start a conversation and she's like I find it really hard to separate that this is your work time yeah. because you are nipping in and out you're having a coffee having a little chat and you know she's like I find it quite hard to separate it so it's, I really relate to everything you're saying there, basically, is, is what yeah. I want to hear. But Georgia and I don't do it that calmly. We're, we're like snapping at the kids going, just leave me alone. I've got to send an email. And they're like, but mummy, I just I just need you. And you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, listen, Michael, I, I would love to just kind of hear, um, you know, about your, your past, your upbringing. For people that are listening to the podcast now going, who's Michael Maisie? Can you kind of just talk to us about... I guess it's a bit. It's a bigger picture where you've come from and and your and your whole vibe, really. Yeah, sure. I grew up in a single parent family. My mum was an Irish immigrant from a big gypsy family, and she came to England when she was about eighteen, and she met my father, who was a violent alcoholic and drug addict. Um, and and for her, that seemed like a good match because growing up in in the gypsy culture, the men were traditionally violent and drank a lot so that was what was normal to her but my father left before I was one um, and then my uncle came to live with us shortly when I well about when I was about five years old and up between the age of one and five I'd experienced like lots of cases of neglect and stuff like that my mum was an alcoholic so she um, she was going through her own struggles mm. but the real defining moment for me was when I was five and my uncle Tommy um, grew up in a children's home run by priests and nuns in Ireland, and he was physically and sexually abused every single day of his life. And um, he came to England to live with us, mm. and he did the same to me for about six months, which um, which was a really long time when you're five. Mm. And it really changed my outlook on this world. I judged this world to be an unfriendly place. I was like, if this is how the people you live with, the people that you love treat you, then how is everyone out in the world going to treat you? Mm. So then at the age of five, you're faced with this dilemma of like, okay, how do you survive in this world? Because who you are right now isn't keeping you safe. And so I developed at the age of five. And I say all this in hindsight, looking back, having done, you know, 14 yeah. plus years worth of mm. self-development and therapeutic work. Um, but at the age of five, I, I developed and created um, an adapted version of myself. What did that look like? It looked like a loud, angry, unpredictable young child. Probably today, it would be the child that is labeled with borderline personality disorder, ADHD, right. something like that. 
but it was a strategy because I knew if I was loud, angry, and unpredictable, adults didn't really want to be around me. And if adults didn't want to be around me, that equals safety. Because in my house, the adults hurt you. Mm. You know, I mean, think about it now. You know, if you walk down the street and you see a group of loud, gobby, threatening kids, you almost want to cross the road. You think, I don't even want to go near them, right? So that was my strategy. And it worked really well. But the sad thing was in that is that I found I drifted towards other young kids who acted and behaved in a similar way to myself. Mm. And so slowly this group got bigger and then slowly it got called a gang. And we were a gang of predominantly kids from broken homes, underprivileged, traumatized backgrounds. None of us were well educated. You know, neither my mum or my dad could read or write. So there was no like, let's sit down and do your homework. There was, I never mm. got read a bedtime story, you mm. know, so... I naturally fell into crime at a young age and I was um, convicted of armed robbery and possession of firearms at the age of 15, which back then was, it was quite rare. There wasn't many uh, 15 year old armed robbers back then. And that was it. I I went on to spend most of my teenage years locked in a, in a prison cell for 23 hours a day. And um, I had this, this, like a moment of realization. It was like a moment of, of seeing the light when I was, it was just, just before my 19th birthday. And I looked forward at at the rest of my life. You know, my dad was in and out of prison. He was a heroin addict. My mum was an alcoholic. And I was just like, I'm, you know, excuse my language. I was just like, I'm fucked. Like Mm. what, what actually am I going to do with my life? And, and in that moment I decided I was going to kill myself. You know, I wrapped the, uh, my bed sheets up in my prison cell and turned them into a rope. And I put one in round the bars, one around my neck and, oh, um, God. and hung myself. And the next thing I remember is, um, I'm on the floor being resuscitated by two prison officers. And, um, which was, but it, it was just like, even that was a complete chance. You know, the prison officer who was on duty that night was drawn to go and do the rounds just check mm. the cells, check all the inmates are right. Now, if he had have started on the top floor of the wing or on the left side of the wing, I would have been dead or had brain damage. But he started on the mm. ground floor on the right-hand side of the wing and I was three cells in and he come in and I was hanging unconscious. And he cut me down, uh, performed CPR, uh, brought me back to life and then uh, put me in a padded cell and, and – this is where the most peculiar thing started happening. As I laid there in the fetal position on the floor in this padded cell, I found myself asking for help from something, mm. some higher power, God perhaps, you know, I'm not religious, but just saying like, please, please just help me. Do you remember that moment? Do you remember asking for help at that moment? Yeah, yeah, really clearly. Just like, please just help me. And I, like, I promise if... If you help me, I promise I'll do better. And I promise that I will sort my life out and I'll come back and I'll help others change their life. Mm -hmm. And it was this weird thing, like something changed in that moment. You know, you call it, I I call it like a spiritual experience. It wasn't like a moment where God come down from the clouds or anything like that. But it was something in me shifted. I suddenly didn't feel alone. And then that was my journey up. You know, I came out of prison. How old were you when you came out of prison? It was just before my 19th birthday. Right. I come out of prison, but I had no qualifications, no GCSEs, nothing. But I had this determination to change. 
so I started reading books I started learning stuff and you know traditionally the stuff that you don't get taught in the classroom um Mm. You know, but what I noticed was any progress that I made, I would smash it to bits on a Friday and Saturday night when I'd take drink and drugs. Right. So I didn't really have an off switch. That was one of the hardest things for me is learning and, well, it was, it was a choice to, to take the road less traveled, basically. I'm going to try and go down this path that isn't attractive, that everyone's laughing at me for, for doing it, but I'm going to try and venture into some new territory you know I learned a lot I really did you know like one of the first jobs I got was as a litter picker in Kingston upon Thames and that was like the first job that (laughs) accepted me and uh, it was a real defining moment for me because it was like okay Michael you say you want to change here's a real opportunity like how badly do you want to change yeah are you willing to put on that uniform and walk around one of them litter pickers with a black bag, walking around Kingston, picking up everyone else's rubbish, you know, and I'm just so glad I was, I was brave enough and humble enough to go, yeah, I'm going to do it. Mm. Because that was where like a lot of the change started, started to happen in my mind. You know, I grew up in a very hostile world where around me, people got hurt, people got killed, people died from overdoses. As I was working as this litter picker, I'd I'd see the world differently. So in Kingston, it's a pretty wealthy area and I'd see parents, well-dressed, sober parents, right? Mm. I know it sounds very normal to you, but it wasn't normal for me, right? Sober parents, well-dressed in the morning, walking their kids to school, having a conversation, having a chat, laughing, smiling. It was like, wow, that's different. And then I used to sometimes go to Kingston Station and sit there and have a, I used to smoke back then. I'd sit there and have a, a cigarette and I'd see these, these young professionals on their way to work to get their train at Kingston station. And at Kingston station back then, there used to be a lot of homeless people around the station. I think there still is actually. Um, but these young professionals would stop and, um, they'd give the homeless people like a fiver or they'd give, bring Mm -hmm. them a coffee or, and I was looking at it. I was looking at all these little things and my view of the world was suddenly starting to look a bit more friendly. Just yeah. see, just seeing your environment and seeing what was around you. That's interesting that that was the almost, I guess, the sort of starting point of, of figuring out that the world potentially wasn't as bad as you thought it was in, yeah, I guess, absolutely. in different situations. You, you then spent the majority of your 20s, is it, or was it, was it 30s, where you started to get into sort of the, the body of your work that you do now with people? Just tell us about that. I got sober from alcohol and drugs at the age of 25. Right, okay. Getting sober at the age of 25 wasn't cool. You know, it's a bit of a cool thing now. Everyone's yeah. like, I'm sober, I'm sober. Yeah, yeah. Mate, back, you know, in 2007, being sitting in an AA meeting was like the worst thing you could have been doing mm, on mm. a Friday night. But I was just willing to do whatever it took. I was like, I just, I'm that committed to changing. I surrounded myself with people who drank the same way I drank, mm. who drank a lot and drank excessively. Mm. So when I said I'm getting sober, a lot of them were like, you ain't got a problem, mate. What's wrong with you? Because yeah. they were thinking, crikey, if Mike's got a problem, then I've definitely got a problem as well because I drink mm. as much as Mike drinks. So it was easier for them to convince me I didn't have a problem than to admit mm. they had a problem. They're the enablers, though. They're the enablers, mm. and they still do it now. If you, I mean, Ben Bidwell is a classic case of somebody that doesn't drink anymore. He's kind of He wasn't an addict. He's just decided that he doesn't want to drink. And so when he goes out on a night out, very rarely, and he says to people, I'm not drinking tonight, they're like, what's wrong with you? 
What is wrong yeah. with you? Go on. People's go reaction on. to it. Go yeah. on, do it. Do it. My husband was sober for, I don't know, I think he did like seven weeks or something. He just wanted a bit, you know, his ex-rugby player wanted a bit of a kind of time out from it. And people were desperate to get him drunk. That's all they wanted. I know. Come on, do a shot, do and a shot. It's all like, oh, you can't trust someone who doesn't have doesn't a drink. drink. What are they hiding from? What are they yeah. hiding from? I like this. It's there is such. A, I know it's like it's cool now, and yeah. it is. But maybe not so much with our generation. More with like almost like the younger generation. I think it's almost lots of the younger generation. I don't think drink. And that was where you know I think of like the foundations of building a new house. The foundation of my new house was sobriety. You know, and and I learned how to live off the off that foundation and and that's where my journey to helping others began you know I I took part in in a workshop with Tony Robbins and I I took part in lots of different workshops and and in all honesty I think my addiction was learning and self-development I was like I replaced alcohol and drugs with like I need to learn I need to learn as much as I can and that's about a year sober that's when I started going back into prisons and delivering workshops in prisons and helping young people in prisons. Am I able to fully embody and feel every single emotion in all their different levels of intensity without using alcohol and drugs to numb them? Or without trying to use some type of technique to make me feel happy all the time? Like, can I fully embody and feel and experience my sadness? I love that one. At That's a level 10. Favorite. And what about anger? Can I fully embody anger? What does it feel like? to fully embody anger. And this is one of the things I teach the men, especially in prisons is like, you know, this isn't about violence. This is about setting a boundary and saying, I'm not okay with that. How do I communicate effectively where that anger is? Like anger is a good thing. It can get the job done. How many times have you had this job that you've wanted to do for ages? And then you're like, that is bloody it. I've had enough. I am doing that today. Mm. Yeah. And then you go and do it. Right. Mm. So I asked my son what people do when they're angry. And he said they hoover. (laughs) (laughs) That's classic, George. Because if I'm furious, I mean, I I actually think my husband winds me up sometimes if he thinks this house is looking like an absolute shit tip. Like I'm gonna make I'm gonna make Georgia really cross because then that's what I do. I go oh, and I go around like tidying up and hoovering and all of that kind of stuff. But it does, you do, you get things done, right? Georgia better than yelling and screaming and shouting and hitting and punching and fighting. So yeah, hoovering. That's that, if that's how you feel better, that's fine. I actually hate hoovering as well. So <laughs> Michael, let, let, Michael, let's 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 move forward because you are a father now. You are raising three girls. So let's let's talk about your your past and how it has made you a different father to the one that you experienced and your your parenting? I would say becoming a father has been the greatest teaching for me in my whole life. You know, because I grew up in a home where if you didn't do what you were told, you were hit, you know, and there was was bullying, there was intimidation, there was neglect, and there was sexual abuse, right? So for me becoming a father was terrifying. It was like, I almost believed in my mind because that's what you experienced. You're going to pass that on. Mm. Like you're going to be a terrible father. Like what have you got to give them? Like, look at what you experienced. Mm. And it was really sad. It was like, I was almost like beating myself up before I'd even started the journey, you know, and I had to go away and seek support from a, like a really, Uh, qualified parenting therapist and say, look, this is my backstory and I'm due to become a father and I need some help. 
because I know the blueprint given to me didn't work because this is where I ended up. Yeah. So can you give me a new blueprint? This is normally the job that a, a mother or father would do, but my mum and dad didn't have a good blueprint passed down to them either. So it was like getting a new blueprint. Okay, what do you do? What do you do in them moments where a child won't do what you want them to do? Like, because in my mind, what would happen to me is I would just get hit or beat. Mm. So if you don't do that, which I feel like I shouldn't do that, then like, is there, is there an, an option A, an option B, an option C? Like, cause I don't know. Cause that's all I witnessed growing up, Yeah. Mm-hmm. you know? And I remember sitting with this therapist and, and, uh, she said to me, um, I want you to get down to their eye level, get on your knees, get on their eye level. Up until the age of six, children can't process their emotions. They don't have the internal emotional mechanisms. That's why you see children just acting out their emotions. They're kicking, screaming, because they're like, I don't know what the bloody hell I'm feeling, but it doesn't feel nice, right? Mm. So get down to their eye level, let them see you, and just ask them, how's it going? Is everything okay? And I remember when, when she gave me that advice, I was thinking, oh my God, what a load of rubbish. Like, are you serious? Like, is that what I've paid you for? Get down to their eye level and <laughs> yeah. ask them how they're feeling, right? And so I tried it with with my daughter, Sienna, because my daughter, Sienna, used to hate brushing her teeth in the evening. So I went in and she, I was like, you're going to brush your teeth, darling? No, no, I'm not brushing my teeth. I'm not brushing my teeth. So I went and I, I got down on eye level and I was like, is everything okay? And she stopped, looked me in my eyes. God, I feel like I could cry now. she looked at me in my eyes and um just cried you know and i was just and she just hugged me oh and i was just like i had this moment in my head like oh my god this is actually Mm. bloody working this is incredible Mm. yeah followed by this other moment of this little boy who really needed that himself growing up yeah yeah you know it's like that that little boy is like god if i had just a little bit of that compassion when i was growing up we'll be right back after this short break Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome back to this episode of Made by Mamas. Now, where were we? It's a reflection, isn't it, when we look at our kids sometimes, that, that moment. there's uh, mm. It's like looking in the mirror. It's everything yeah. that we potentially didn't get, the things that we needed that weren't there. You know, mm. and that's why it's so that's why it's so magical that you've managed to turn it around and become the father that you have because Absolutely. really so many people could have gone the other way and just oh well this like you said, this is the blueprint, this is the person I'm gonna be, therefore this is how I'm gonna raise my own children. This mm. is what happened to me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you do, I mean, even in like small you know, small things, like you hear I hear sometimes people saying well, it was hard for me, so we got we you know, it's gonna be that they don't want them to have it easy. 
And I always think oh, God. to myself, I think, so if it was hard for you, why would you then want your child to feel like that? I don't, I don't understand. I've never understood that. Like I've really yeah. never understood that. Like Mike will be able to tell us. Feeling yeah. of, oh, well, I had it hard. So they've got to have it hard. They need to learn the hard way. <laughs> what? Yeah. yeah. Let me, let me speak to that. Cause this is a really important part of the work that I do with, with men and women is like, it's easier to just repeat them same patterns, then do the work yourself. So this is one of the big things I say, especially to the men that I work with is like, you're not doing this work just for you. You're doing this work. So your kids don't have to come back here in 10 years and do this work because mm. whatever get is unresolved from your childhood, you're going to pass it down to them. Mm. You know? So it's a lot easier to just go, well, I had it hard. You know, I don't want them to have it easy. It's a lot harder to say, tell me about what was hard. Tell mm -hmm. me about what was hard about your childhood. Let's just take some time and explore that, you know, and, and, and that's their work is like, let's do that work. Let's do your internal work. So, you know, it's easier for them because, you know, that is what all of this is about is like, could you imagine if every parent took a pledge is that I'm going to do my personal work to ensure mm. that I raise a better human being than myself. If every parent took that pledge, we'd create better human beings coming up behind us. It's so, oh my gosh, it's so yeah. true. The world would evolve into a much more loving, kind and gentle place. It's really simple in wow. my mind. That's how I see it. It, see, it sounds simple, doesn't it? I couldn't agree with you more. I, I, I lost my dad at 30 and I had an amazing upbringing, like wonderful kind of, you know, four of us together, you know, so privileged, went to amazing schools. My parents were really in love, 35 years. When he died at 30, my whole world imploded. It was like the one person that wasn't supposed to leave left. That's how I saw it in my head. And also loads of stuff about my parents' relationship started to unravel. So all this like picturesque, you know, perfect. They were madly in love that it just wasn't, wasn't true. And so suddenly I was like, oh my God, my whole foundations of my whole entire, like how I view relationships, how I view like It was like they'd just been ripped away from, I was a complete mess. I spent two and a half years in therapy doing all of that personal development about who I was now that he wasn't here. And actually, if my upbringing wasn't as perfect as I thought, could I still be okay with that? And could I kind of process that and work through it? It 100% has made me a better parent now. And I'm able to cope with all of the things, not all of the things, but I hope the majority of the things that come up, I have a deeper level of understanding because I went through all of that personal development stuff and all yeah. of the inner child work that I did because I really needed to like go back to that 14 year old self and go actually you know you're loved you're safe you're here you're pre you know all of the things that potentially I didn't do growing up so mm. it was like yeah I couldn't agree with that statement more uh, it was the, it's the best thing I ever did it makes yeah. me feel really emotional thinking about it now actually but it, it is what's his name Peter so that was Peter's lasting gift to you yeah to let you know that it doesn't have to be perfect yeah. That you are mm. perfect in your imperfectness. Mm. And that, that is what makes this so beautiful is that mm. I don't have to set a really high standard for my children. It's like your sadness, your anger and your fear is welcome. And it's all part of this human experience. And also, yeah. and also that parents are just two people figuring it out. 
You know, yeah, we're exactly. just in a yeah, relationship. Exactly. Now that we're parents, we're just two people in love trying to figure out how to do the journey together that, you know, yeah. you can't put them on a pedestal. And actually, we're also going to die. Like I didn't, uh, it's an interesting one about death because I didn't even think about death up until losing my dad. I was like, how can he die? He's not supposed to die. Yeah. We never spoke about death. Do you, do you talk to your kids about death, George? Well, not maybe not yet. Well, I do. No, I, I mean, my, my nan passed away um, a couple of years ago, but it was it was like really unexpected. She was quite young and fit and one minute she was there and then the next minute she wasn't there. So I had to explain that to Axel when he, I think he, he must have been four, four at the time. Yeah. yeah, and so we do. We do talk about it because of that now. And also we have to walk through a cemetery to get to school. So <laughs> provides the perfect opportunity to talk about it twice a day. Um, so, no, yeah, we do talk about it. And he, do- he definitely does understand it. But it's definitely not something I spoke about when I was younger. So for me, when when I experienced grief for the first time, it completely floored me. I could, I didn't understand. I, didn't, I couldn't get my head around it. But I hope, again, like a learning, I hope that he won't be like that because we've, we've spoken about it. And I don't think he necessarily fears that now. I, I don't think he has the same fear as I would have had. I think mm. I really, I had a huge fear around people leaving and dying. And I don't know, mm. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm an only child and I think that is something that comes from that because you feel like your parents are all you've got. Um, so I definitely grew up with that like fear of this is my family unit and nothing can happen to it. Yes. But yeah, I mean, again, ref- on reflection, I wouldn't have known that when I was a child, but I, I realise that now. As a parent. Mm. Yeah, yeah, as a parent. Yeah, for sure. I think it's really important to not just talk about it with your kids. Is like embody it. Like, because it's like this statement that goes around, you know, it's not okay. It's okay to not be okay. Like, Mm. but everyone wants to be the person saying that statement. No one wants to be the person who's not okay. Mm -hmm. You know, like the suicide rate has gone up like 200% since COVID, right? It's like, how can we be the person who's not okay and embody that and, Mm -hmm. and know that it's okay. There's no shame in it. You know, like when my dad died, I would openly cry in front of my children you know and let them see it it's like men do this yeah Yeah. i can uh, yeah i can provide and i can and i can laugh and i can do all of that but i i I do this as well men cry and it's okay and these tears the the, the sadness around losing my father and it's normal crying is normal i think the more we normalize that for the next generation the less difficulty they will have because the amount of men I meet and men who've had very privileged up- upbringings who have uh, years and years of unshed tears and mm, unspoken yes. words. Yeah. And, and it's like we need to normalize that, the, the, the sadness part. And I do think in general, I mean, I don't know, this is just in my experience, men seem to hold a lot more anger than women maybe do. Like I don't have many friends who get, you know who get that red mist where they literally have no control I've not seen that from my friends very often I've definitely seen it from a lot of my husband's friends and my husband it you know like I don't why is that what why do is it because women talk to each other more I don't know in my experience that part of the female experience has been oppressed men for years and years and years have pushed it down so women have had to become submissive one of the uh, processes we do uh, for the on the women's workshops is like, how do we embody that anger? 
Yeah. So let's think about all the men who put you down, who cheated on you, who neglected you, who beat you, who raped you, who abused you, who abandoned you. Think about all of them. And if you had something you could say to all of them and let that energy build up and boom, you see it, it almost instantly. It, the rage comes out, Yeah. you know, and it's like, because, and it's part of the social conditioning is a part of this as well, that girls have to be girls, pretty polite, blah, 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 all this rubbish, right? Princesses. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's a way of like, you're not allowing them to feel these primal emotions that are within us. It's like, this is part of the human experience um, that women have that as well. They, it's just been oppressed. And in my opinion, women have more of it because it's been oppressed for longer, you know? So yeah, men, men might find it easier to do it. To let it out. Yeah. yeah. But it doesn't say they've got more of it than women have. I'd say women have more of it, but it's just been pushed further down. It's been oppressed. There's no space for it to come out. You, you, you think about when you think of an image of, um, you know, a, a sort of Stepford wife kind of image of like the mother with a apron and the father not, yeah. you know, not kissing them goodbye. And then the woman turning around and crying, what's wrong, mummy? Nothing, darling. It's like, I feel for a long time, we've been playing these roles with each other that, well, you know, women have to be mothers, carers, career girls, sex, sex kittens. You know, we have to be holding it all together, holding it all together, doing it all. And then the men feel that they can't necessarily talk to us about stuff or don't know how to talk to us about stuff. God forbid that they shared anything deep. God forbid that they looked back into their past and maybe unpicked some of their trauma. It's like we're sort of running lives together and living together, but what are we actually there for one or another? Actually, are we actually standing in front of each other and saying, this is me? And that's mm -hmm. why are we hear so much on Made by Mamas about, you know, the first parts of motherhood, parenting, you know, people end up in different bedrooms. The, 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 the non-birthing partner feels they can't get involved in anything. You know, we're taking everything, all the ownership because we gave birth yeah. to the baby. It's, it's like, and it's a recipe for disaster. Relationships are just breaking down. What one in four marriages ending in divorce now? It's frightening. Because, you know, the reality is, is, is we didn't live how we live now yeah you know we lived in tribes and communities and the children were raised by a community not raised by one mother mm. Mm. they're raised yeah. by aunties uncles and there was a lot of value in that is like you know you your children need to come back to you you're their safe space you're their safe place to fall yeah they're a soft place to fall but you almost want them out in the community being challenged and experiencing things that are difficult, you know, and only someone who's not that emotionally invested in them can give that to them. Like an auntie or an uncle It's like, no, no, go on, you know, go and do this really daring, challenging experience and, and hurt yourself. And it's okay. Mum and dad will be there to pick you up when you fall. And that's why I think so many of these uh, marriages fail because like it's, it's not, how we're used to living yeah like so you were saying like we take on you know women take on so much so much so much so much that there's almost not any room left sometimes you know if your husband comes home or your partner comes home at the end of the day and they want to talk to you sometimes you think I don't I don't want to talk I'm exhausted and and it's this whole like just not having time because we're too busy trying to work and exercise and all of these things that we're all trying to do on both sides we then don't actually have any time to process our feelings or emotions it's almost just like 
put it put it to the back put it to the back to put it to the back mm. so there's there's the few things on that and i think women definitely have it a lot harder than men because you've got to cram a lot more in in 40 mm. years you got to um, you got to grow up figure out the menstrual cycles meet a suitable partner figure out your career uh re- reproduce you've got to do all of that like mm. it's a lot mm. to fit in when you're competing out there in the the career sector with mm. men who are like haven't got any of that to compete with yeah. you know mm. and then you got to you, you know be the the really nowadays the primary caregiver at home for the for the children so you you get it a lot harder and i think one of the techniques that worked for me and my wife is um to have a really structured check-in procedure yes like really structured it's like okay sit down turn the telly off where's your phone <laughs> put it on airplane mode, set a timer, 10 minutes, 10 minutes. I'm going to close my mouth and I'm just going to make eye contact with you and I'm just going to hear you. And the most amazing things happen in these, in these, you know, these check-ins when I sit there and listen to my wife and she's like the first minute is like, Oh God, I'm just so bloody tired. I just, I don't even know if I can be bothered doing this. Actually, I haven't really got much to say. And then it gets to like minute nine and she's still going. <laughs> she's like, oh, there was this and this. And I'm like, you want another two minutes? Extend the time. Yeah. And it's like just hearing her is like, it's like I'm not trying to fix you. I'm not trying to give you any magic solution. I'm just making space for you and all your emotions and everything that you bring. And then timer ends. You set the timer again. And then I talk. And what slowly happens is, is that, you know, bloody hell, I feel emotional again when I talk about my wife. Oh. I remember the, the, I remember the girl I fell in love with, you know, before the kids. Yeah. You know, the more we do that, the more I make time for her and all her emotions and all the, everything she's been through, I can see, oh man, I see that girl that I met in Richmond in vodka revs on a saturday night <laughs> what a meeting place yeah absolutely <laughs> i'm just like god and, and i miss her and i love mm. her and it's like god there you are in front of me and and it's and it's it's creating that space and and you have to do it and it's hard to do it and that's the thing wow that's amazing and actually sometimes georgia and i say this together um and we get <laughs> countless messages from people going I I just wish that they'd hear me I just want Mm. them to hear me you know I feel invisible you know I don't feel supported I don't feel cared for I don't feel heard is a big one so I guess in those check-in moments that's a really nice point I guess to leave the podcast because we've had you for an hour nearly already but just to say (laughs) um, just to say you know maybe that's something that we could all schedule into our week you know we schedule going to the gym we schedule eating we schedule sleeping this is probably the most important thing that we could do for ourselves and our relationships when you think 20 minutes is nothing actually it's nothing it's nothing and one of the things that you can do which is an, an extra is make note so i make note of the things that my wife might be feeling like what you said you know i feel like i feel like i'm not seen i'm invisible what am i doing this for you know and then you and then you make eye contact with her and you tell her i see you i see everything that you do and i'm so grateful for everything that you do and i love you and it's like these little things of like maintaining that connection in the middle of all of this because this is really what we're trying to model for this, these children is like, what is a healthy relationship look like? 
it's like mum and dad can argue, but mum and dad can also have uh, that as well. These these deep this deep emotional connection. I love that. Everybody <laughs> listening, get their get their ah. partners to listen to this episode, please. And we're <laughs> we're going to sign Mike Michael Maisie up to something that he doesn't know he's about to sign up for, but he's going to say yes to it anyway. So uh, we'll hopefully be seeing much more of him. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> oh, thank you so oh, much for coming thank on. Thank you. Loved that. <laughs> yeah, thank you both. And I, you know, I see you two as well. What you're doing to help other women is is really great. So keep doing it. Keep shining your light. We need it. You know, you you are the lighthouse for many mums. Thank you. Thanks. I'm going to cry now. Right, someone pass me the <laughs> I always find that type of chat so fascinating. Mm. And it always brings up so much. You know, you think you've got nothing, you know, to say almost. when, Especially when you're talking to someone who's experienced things like that. And you think, gosh, what, you know, how can I relate to you in any way? But there are, you know, there's small things, sayings that we've been brought up with. Mm-hmm. You know, I had it hard, so they should have it hard. And it's just about kind of decompartmentalizing all of that kind of stuff and realizing why do, why, why is this happening? Why do we... Mm think that that's the normal way to behave Mm. and why do we do certain things I don't trust to drink you know don't ever trust anyone who doesn't drink hang on a minute why we've just grown up with these sayings being thrown around Um, and you almost start to believe that that that's the way to live and that's Mm. true I don't know about you George but for me loads of stuff um, came up around my sort of my childhood and the things that I experienced and I found it really interesting you know, the way that he used it for good, as in, you know, could have quite easily gone down the same path that his parents took and, you know, been that type of that type of carer, I guess. And he just yeah. flipped that coin on its head. And I think that a lot is. of us, you know, for a while, maybe when our kids aren't around, you know, you are a certain way because of your, it's nature nurture. It's like, you just are the way that you are, but it's only highlighted really when you have mm. your children. They're like that mirror, aren't they? Which is what we said on the podcast, just staring back at you. Exactly. Um, and for a long time I think I was behaving in certain ways and stuff that I'd seen and experienced and carrying around all that stuff with me and actually you know we we have a real opportunity here to break that pattern to break that cycle like you said really interesting stuff I feel like I've had a big old therapy session there and I love I love the way that he spoke about crying in front of his girls something that I really worry about I mean I for ages was like I can't let them see me cry and I think actually no how can I be ridiculously happy and giggle around laugh with them and tickle them and not and not cry not with them. cry in front of no. them. And also show them that it's, you know, it's okay to cry and it's an important emotion. Yeah. Um, but I also, do you know what I really loved? That when he said, if every parent just, you know, took a bit of time to like unpick their past and do a little bit of work, then we mm. would raise much, like we, we would live in a, in a happier world basically mm. because our children would be, you know, nicer, more balanced level people. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I do think, yeah, I'm, I'm, I do, there is a shift for sure sure because we talk so much more nowadays don't we than yeah. our parents would have so I do hope that happens but it does just make make me want to do it even more yeah well George if anyone wants to get in touch with Georgia and start unpicking all the shit from her past <laughs> let's go for, let's go for it Georgia I mean yeah if someone wants to have a little go I'm, I'm more than happy no, do you know what and it doesn't have to be such a big deal it's not like some people don't even have that much 
no, you know, like in inverted yeah. commas, shit. Like for me, it was just a few key points that I needed to address and figure yeah. out, but they were having quite a big impact. Um, yeah. It's quite a brave thing, I think, to stand there and just go, right, it's it's now time for me to look at why I'm behaving in a certain way. And potentially yeah. it is because of things that I've seen or heard or, you know, been yeah. around and those passive aggressions and all that kind of stuff. It is important to do, I think, if you... Um, if you're up for it but yeah we'll yeah. save therapy for another time um, <laughs> thank you so much to Michael for coming on the podcast brilliant brilliant guest and thank you so much for listening if you do have a chance please could you rate, review, subscribe and give the podcast a little follow as well that'd be great please do and as always our DMs are always open so you can drop us a message we're on at Made by Mummers on Instagram and we'll be back on Friday Made by Mummers is an insanity podcast production and today's episode was produced by the wonderful Charlotte Mason Insanity Group. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.